Will people leave your funeral surprised? Say, oh, Rick, this is such a uplifting beginning to your message. Funerals, death. But, you know, many of us have been to funerals where we scratch our heads leaving, don't we? I mean, sometimes it's because we don't know the deceased very well. And you get some information. And you learn just a little bit about that person. But other times, the words and the life doesn't seem to match. So you grace them and you move on. But every once in a while, you go to a hero's funeral. One that inspires you. Someone who ran well, who finished strong, and completed the task that the Lord Jesus had given him or her. You know, no one would be surprised at Daniel's funeral. Daniel was a kingdom hero. I'm going to start at the end of Daniel's life in order to set up this message well. Many of the Daniel stories that you've read, that you know, are so very, very familiar. So I think again, if you've taught some of these stories or you've read ahead and you've used the bulletin or the story booklet to be able to keep us on task here, I think you'll probably get more out of the message today. But because this is so familiar... And sometimes we look at some of these stories just a little more casual. So I'd like to just begin by asking God to open up our eyes to something fresh, to a very, very familiar story. So let's pray. And I'll give you, first of all, just some time to talk to God yourself. And then I will talk to God on our behalf. So let's pray. Father, it's true. I am so sure most of us have not only heard these stories, have read them in your word, and probably have taught them in one way or another. Lord, when that happens, we sometimes miss what you want us to learn, what you want us to be reminded of, what needs a change in our lives. We're asking you, Father, to blow that little bit of fog away, the fog that has encompassed us this week, the busyness of our week, the things we have to do as soon as we leave here, the things we have to get done by the end of next week, and all these things flood our minds. And we pray that you would be able to just put those aside for a little bit and that you would talk to us today that we would see you more clearly. We pray these things in your Son's name. 
Amen. Amen. I just want to say it. I don't want people to be surprised at my funeral. I don't. I want to learn from Daniel. I want to be able to understand how Daniel finished strong. I want people to be able to, well, understand what was important to me. Now, if it's all about me, it's kind of a failure. But if it's all about a ruthless commitment to serving our king, oh, that would be a good funeral. So let's get inspired together by looking at Daniel's life. I'd like, though, to give you a quick summary that will get us to Daniel. You know, it happened a long time ago in the garden. And God set it up beautifully with with Adam and with Eve. And said, I've given you a perfect environment in order for us to be able to interact with one another. Oh, you're going to have some chores. You're going to take care of some things. But honestly, it is going to be amazing. But you can't eat from a certain tree. Everything else is open to you. This is unbelievable. But, but I'm telling you, you can't eat from that tree. Well, the enemy started hard. The enemy started the deception and the lies and, and started to make that fruit look so unbelievably delicious. And by the way, I believe it was unbelievably delicious. But it was so short. And the consequences were so unbelievably hard. Well, God from that time on has pursued us. So many of us have chosen to go our own way. And if we would have been in the garden, we probably would have done exactly the same thing. Because we like being in charge. We love the opportunity to be able to, well, let God know that maybe he doesn't know as much as he knows. And every once in a while, I think we can make decisions by ourselves. Well, God does know more than we do. And, and every time that happens, it ends poorly. Eventually, God raised up this nation called Israel. And they, they wanted a king so badly. And they got a king. And things didn't go well. There were some good kings and there were some evil kings, but, but the truth was the majority of the kings forgot about God, the king. And they went different directions. And they ended up in places that they could hardly imagine. Eventually, Jerusalem fell. And we talked about this last week. In 586 B.C. And the deportations began to happen. This unbelievably powerful nation of Babylon came in and didn't just absolutely destroy Israel at first, but did in stages. And in 605, they started to take the best and the brightest away from the land of Israel. And Daniel, 
a name you've heard often, was part of this group. Most scholars at this time put Daniel at about 18, his late teens, so maybe 16 or 17 or 18, somewhere in that ballpark. But what we find out is this, is that Daniel was faithful, responsible, and trustworthy well into his 80s. Let me say it again. Daniel was trustworthy, responsible, and faithful for a long time in a place that was very, very hard to live. Now, let me give you a context for this amazing story. But before I do that, if any of you were reading, you might have got confused at the end of chapter 6, maybe the end of chapter 5, going into chapter 6. And you'll be reading about both Darius and Cyrus. And what I like to do is just try to clear the air, give you a little bit of an explanation here. And some of you may not have a clue of anything I'm talking about, and that's fine. All right? But the truth is, as you look at these kings, what I'd like to do, because it feels a little bit awkward, Darius, to the best of our knowledge, is a title. It is not a name. Darius is like Pharaoh, or Darius is like Caesar. And so it looks like there's two different kings and going two different ways, but literally Cyrus was the ruler of the Medes and Persians when Babylon um, took over, all right? When Babylon fell and the Medes and the Persians took over, and this is about 539 B.C., So if we go back to Daniel, we go back to his life. He was deported in 605, and for about 66 years, he lived in, well, starting off in Babylon. But it was all a foreign country. He had his first few years in Israel, and he learned about God, Yahweh. And he had some amazing background. But because he was young, and he was handsome, and he was strong, and he was smart, he was taken in the first wave. And it was decided that he was going to, well, be brainwashed for the most part. But what we don't remember is that 66 years of being away from your home 66 years of probably not hearing Hebrew, which probably doesn't matter to you guys, but if that's your language, it would be sad. Everything was different for him for 66 years, and now he's in his 80s. What would people say about Daniel? What would people talk about Daniel at this moment? Well, we know one thing. Daniel still loved the Lord with all of his heart. He left Israel at 18 loving God. And in his 80s, he is loving God. In fact, turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 6, starting at verse 1. 
Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling the government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. You know the beginning of this story. But again, this is the third kind of administration that Daniel has grown up in. He came and was deported when King Nebuchadnezzar was around. Then Belshazzar came. And then after Belshazzar, then the Medes and the Persians took over. It didn't take long for Cyrus or Darius to be able to see again this unbelievable person. Everything he touched turned to gold. He was responsible. He was godly. Something stuck out about him. And this is what we find. Is Daniel walked with God for a long time. He was described like this because he walked with God. He wasn't described like this, faithful, responsible, trustworthy, because he just was a really nice guy. It was a hard place to grow up. But these are quite the descriptors for a guy who could have been really bitter. These are the enemies of Daniel, or at least the jealous ones who are talking about Daniel, and they're saying, we can't find anything wrong with this guy. He is just an amazing man. The only adverbs Daniel's jealous enemies could say about him. He was a kingdom hero. Someone who finished well. What we're going to do this morning is look at what is a kingdom hero. So that maybe at the end of your life when you have a funeral you will have a kingdom heroes funeral well kingdom heroes choose to keep themselves pure so many of you know the story of daniel chapter 1 but this strong healthy good looking and grounded young man 18 years old was absolutely stripped of everything familiar Think of it. Often this happens to 18-year-olds when they go away to school. And they've grown up in the church. And they've served in all different areas. But all of a sudden, they're going to Montana State. What do you do in Montana State? Whoa, is that far? Whoa, nobody knows you. Whoa, the woods are pretty thick up there. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but I think I know what college kids do. So let's do what college kids do. Kind of feed the flesh. 
some college kids, not all, but, but that's kind of the place where Daniel was at. Who would know? Who's going to keep me accountable? Why should I listen? Who cares? But somehow, by the time he was 18, he knew his God well. He understood what his responsibilities were. And he left and went into a foreign place. I cannot say enough about godly parents and kids or student ministries. I can't. Because every one of us want our 18-year-olds to leave the house. Some want, us, want them to leave earlier than 18 years old. But we want them to leave at 18. And we want them to be mature. We want them to be able to love God. We want them to make wise choices. We want them to be able to make kingdom impacts. And you've had 18 or so years to model that. And to show them. And to encourage them to listen to God. You've helped them get to a place where they fear God. Well, probably a parent's most important responsibility. Telling and encouraging and teaching your kids to fear God. Well, in our culture, we have an opportunity to partner with parents. And in our children's ministries, and even you can see in your bulletin today, we've listed those. So you might be able to pray for those individuals who are downstairs serving our God, caring for your kids. And then on Sunday nights, there's a ministry going on here. And on Monday nights, there's a ministry going on here. And on Wednesday nights, there's a ministry going on here where so many different people are partnering together so that, well... People will be able to be unbelievably in love with God at 18 years old. You know, you can't choose looks. You can't choose brains. You can't make your circumstances good. But you can choose obedience. Because disobedience is sin, and it's contrary to God's plan and purpose. And if our 18-year-olds are leaving, just having this casual attitude about sin, or thinking that, oh, that's just some things that, that other people do, but, you know, we'll eventually get to do some of that kind of... We've missed the mark. But if our 18-year-olds love God with all their hearts... And they see God so very, very, very clearly. And they recognize that God's plan is so unbelievably good for them. That sin is an abomination against God, but will also produce, sin, uh, produce death in their lives. Well, then, of course, you look at disobeying God differently. You do. And this is where Daniel was. Daniel, well... Obeyed God, not again because his folks were going to be disappointed if they didn't, or if he didn't. He obeyed God because he saw God clearly. And that's our hope. And that's our prayer. So Daniel drew a line here and respectfully asked for kosher food. Look at Daniel chapter 1. And we're not going to go through every story here, but this is pretty critical right in the very beginning. 
In Daniel chapter 1, looking at verse 8, but Daniel was determined. Daniel was determined. If you mark your Bibles, and again, I encourage you to do that. I just do. Circle determined. Highlight determined. All right? You will never, ever be a God follower unless you're disciplined. I guarantee it. You'll never be an athlete, a world-class athlete, unless you're disciplined. You'll never be an amazing dad unless you're disciplined. And you can fill that all out. You'll never be an amazing God follower unless you are disciplined. And Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of the staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now Daniel had given the chief of staff both respect, or God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. That is a legitimate concern. All right? Hey, if I do what you ask me to do, there's a good, there's a good chance I'm losing my head. But Daniel wasn't done. Daniel respectfully said, hey, just give us a test. Let's eat the foods, well, that we ought to eat. I know it's not a big deal to you. And I know you think I'm crazy for not taking the absolute best food that the land can offer. But some of that food is really offensive to the God that I serve. So what I'd like to do, can I just have some vegetables? Can you do that and test us? And he did. He drew a line in the sand. His manager came back, saw that they were unbelievably healthy. Said, okay, you can keep doing this. Now, what you don't understand, though, or many people forget, we look at this one area. Do you realize that all of these Hebrew kids, including Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, The scriptures tell us in chapter 1 that they literally were immersed in the Babylonian culture. They learned about the Babylonian gods. They understood the Babylonian arts. But for right now, the only thing we know is they drew a line in this area. And I'm not saying they disobeyed God in every other area, but what I'm saying, the situation they were put in was unbelievably difficult. But they feared God and saw sin and disobedience the way it was. How amazing. You know, kingdom heroes also choose to trust God. And this is a term that you often hear that God is sovereign. God is in charge. God is king of the universe. God is absolutely have authority in every area, and we believe that. But sometimes we don't live our lives like God is in charge. 
We don't like some of the circumstances. We don't like some of the situations. We don't like what we're in. And we have a tendency to second-guess God. Now, sometimes we're in circumstances because of our own choices. Sometimes we're in those circumstances because of other people's choices. And sometimes we just don't even know why we're in these circumstances. I get it. But God is still in control. I was reading Psalm 37 this week. And I'm just going to read a few verses from Psalm 37. In verse 5, David writes this. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him and He will help you. Verse 7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Verse 24, though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by his hand. Verse 34, put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path. You see, God is literally involved in our lives. And God will guide, and God will direct, and God will steer. Daniel did not wake up one day and say, Oh boy, God must have been sleeping, I'm in Babylon. How did that happen? Hey God, do you, do you know I, I'm over in Babylon now? What's the deal? I think he understood He didn't like his situation. He didn't like the circumstance. But that's where he's at. And God is there. How cool in chapter 1 that God gave the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Why was that? Was he the best looking kid? Was he the brown nose? Was he, I don't know. But God took care of that detail. He says, you know what? You're going to obey me. I'm going to take care of the details. God has control of kings. He had control over Nebuchadnezzar. He had control over Belshazzar. He had control over Darius. Really? In this very pagan world? Yeah, he did. God had control over fires. So many of you know, and we're going to talk just in a moment about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being tossed in a fire that literally would kill those that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. Yet they walk around, have a little bit of a party in the fire, in the furnace, walk out, and the only thing that's burned off are the ropes that tied them. They don't even smell like fire. Folks, we all have a campfire and we come in and we smell like fire. We're not even in the fire. God, how did, how did you do all this? And lions. Again, you know, uh, lions, I, I guess, can be pretty nice sometimes. But the lions that Daniel was in, we find out we're quite hungry. Because as soon as he pulled, was pulled out, The rest of the people that were tossed in there were eaten immediately. Well, well, why did God choose this? Why did God allow this? Why does God sometimes shut the mouths of lions and other times He doesn't? I love it in the book of Acts where, well, I don't love this part, but, but James is killed. 
And everybody in Rome is all excited about this. Well, Peter's also in prison. And he's about ready to also get killed. But somehow, God miraculously opens up all of the jail cells. And he walks out. James, you died. Peter, you didn't. What's the deal, God? I think those are some hard things. But God is in control of our president. He is. God's in control of your boss. God's in control of your neighbors, your spouses, your kids. God is in control. And one of the things that Daniel demonstrated is I am going to trust you, God. Even in places I know are hard. It may even cost my life. Next thing we find out is kingdom heroes choose to mirror God well to others. We use the term around here, and the Bible does often, to bring God glory. Now, it's actually a little hard to understand that term, especially if it's rather new to you. It's a little bit easier to say, you know what, we are made to reflect God to others well. We bring God glory by allowing God to work in our lives and let the Spirit have control in our lives. You know, Spirit-led believers reflect God well. The Apostle Paul says this, walk, do your daily life by means of the Spirit, by means of the power of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. All the way through the first six chapters of Daniel, you will read this in the scriptures. The Spirit of God lives in them. Realistically, it showed that they walked with God, that they listened to God. It shows when we walk with God. It shows when we're listening to God and we're responding to God. You see, we treat others differently when we walk with God. We focus on kingdom first and us second when we walk with God. We serve with joy when we walk with God. We are generous people when we walk with God, when we listen to God and allow the Holy Spirit to be able to help us with our words. When there's sin in our life, it's the Holy Spirit that prompts us and encourages us to confess that is walking with God. A life that walks with God is filled with repentance. Oftentimes we offend others and we offend God. And we are asking God to forgive us, to restore this relationship again, that we might be able to reflect you well. Oh, this is 
so refreshing because as you read about Daniel and his friends, their words and their actions all point to God. They had unbelievable abilities, but they kept pointing to God. They were told, or we are told in chapter 1, verse 17, that God gave them some special ability to learn these languages and to retain. You know, when you walk with God, you might be pretty smart. Maybe God gave you unbelievable abilities brain-wise. And sometimes we forget that everything we have The ability to do well in school, the ability to do well in work, the ability, and you just put it in, God gives you grace to do that. In chapter 2, we find that Daniel had, again, some wisdom and discretion and how to deal with, well, someone that literally wanted to take his life. But the scriptures say, again, he was able to, well, talk intelligently. And to work with people. Because he was walking with God. In a very hard situation. You know, in chapter 2, in fact, turn to chapter 2 of Daniel. And look at verse 28. And we're going to start there. but, But it was so amazing. Because literally, God gave them the ability to illuminate and interpret dreams. All right, It was something, again, I'm sure it... Daniel had no clue why he would use it or what was going on, at least originally. But in chapter 2, starting in verse 28, Daniel says this to a king who wants him to interpret some dreams. He said, There are no wise men or enchanters or magicians or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. I just want you to know, nobody can do this, but but God can do this. He's given me some ability, but I can only do it because, well, God's going to give me this ability. He keeps pointing to God all the time. All the gifts that he has. All the abilities that he has. He is mirroring God. He's going, this is my God. This is the God who gives me power. This is the God that gives me grace. And then if you look chapter 3, one of the most amazing stories in all of the Bible. There are three guys. We don't even know where Daniel is at this moment. But he's not around. And, and there's Shadrach and there's Meshach and Abednego. And there's this humongous 90-foot idol. And really, Nebuchadnezzar is simply saying, hey, I want you to bow down. Look at these three young men's reply. Starting at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If... We are thrown into the blazing furnace. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the God statue that you have set up. Okay, 
um, our God's capable of doing this. Our God is capable of protecting us. We're still not going to bow down because we don't bow down to foreign gods. We only worship one God. And if you're going to make us, then you're going to have to throw us into the furnace. That's amazing. You know, God, I just found out about the cancer. Oh, oh God, I just lost my job. Oh, God, and hey, my girlfriend just kind of uh, took off. Now, all I can say is this, all right? I don't know if God's going to do something miraculously physical for you. I don't know if you're going to get another job. You know, I mean, oh, you know what? I lost my job. I got fired. And I just know God has something better for me. Man, I have seen a lot of things go south. I think God's going to walk with you. But I don't know if you're going to get a job that's better than you had right now. Or a girlfriend. And you just fill in the blank. But these three young men, they said, you know what? We're serving God. God is an amazing God. And you know what? We are not going to disobey Him. You can do what you want. And I know He's capable of saving us. But if He doesn't, we're still going to obey. That's our allegiance. Amazing. Amazing. As they go on in the stories in chapter 4, They have opportunities where Nebuchadnezzar, again, is not learning very much. He's running from God. And literally in chapter 4, verse 27, Daniel tells him, quit sinning. God's going to judge you. Do you understand this? He spoke the truth. Wow. Well, eventually there was a new Babylon ruler, and his name was Belshazzar. Daniel's Babylonian name was Belt-a-Chazer. This was a king named Belchazer, and he was a little bit arrogant. And basically, at the end of chapter 5, God does this amazing miracle, has a hand that writes some words on the wall. He calls in Belt or, or Belt Belchazer calls in Daniel. And Daniel interprets the dream. But the way he interprets a dream basically just says this. You know what? You saw your father Nebuchadnezzar. You saw how he ruled. You saw God work in his life. And yet you have chosen not to obey God at all. You've chosen to go your own way. And tonight you're going to pay the piper. Literally your life is going to be taken. And the Medes and the Persians are coming in. God gives us right perspective. We always can reflect Him well in our lives, whether the situation or the circumstance is hard or easy. Lastly, what I'd like to say is kingdom heroes choose to pray. Choose to pray. You know, in chapter 2, this, this is so cool. Turn to chapter 2. Look at verse 17. What happens is, this is in the very beginning of Daniel's life, all right? Uh, the king is a little bit ticked. He has this dream. He wants all of his wise men to come along, tell him what the dream is, and then interpret it. Well, nobody can do that but God. 
All right. And so in a fit of rage, the king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, basically says, I want all my wise men to be killed. So as they're coming to get Daniel, he's talking to the guy and says, well, you know, I'm, I'm coming here to kill you. And Daniel says, hey, whoa, whoa, what, why? Well, the king needs to know uh, what his dream is and then needs someone to interpret. And he basically says, well, yeah, bring me to the king. Bring me to the king. But this is so cool. Chapter 2, look at verse 17. Well, then Daniel went home and told his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. So they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night... The secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. You know, Daniel had this gift. Why does he have to get his buddies around? Why do they have to pray? Why do they have to talk to God about? I mean, if he's got a gift, he should be able to just walk in there. But it was so cool. He says, you know what? I know I have this gift. But, but let's talk to God about it. I need some prayer support before I walk in there. And God was amazing. He was miraculous. He had the gift, but he huddled the team together and prayed. In chapter 6, the thing that got Daniel in trouble, that got him tossed into the lion's den. What was it? He opened his windows three times a day. In chapter 6, verse 10. And it says, as was his custom, three times a day, open up the windows and pray to God, thanking God. Folks, 66 years of opening up windows. 66 years of thanking God for being in Babylon rather than Israel. 66 years. And he is still thanking God. Praising God. And as a result, he gets tossed in a den of lions. Whoa. Do you think prayer is important? Kingdom heroes pray. We meet this Tuesday, 7 o'clock as a church. I want to encourage you to join us. To come and to pray. Pray together. Pray for our church and our country and our people and our ministries. Pray that God would work. We have so many gifted people in this church. But we're going to pray for those gifted people. We're going to pray for our neighbors that don't know Jesus yet. We are going to pray. And I would ask you to come and to join us. Now as I close... Let me remind you, this all started when Daniel was 18. They all knew who Daniel was and that he faithfully served when he was in his 80s. In chapter 6, verse 16, Darius knew, he knew that Daniel still faithfully served his God. You know what? We're all at different points. We've got some rather young people right now in here. 
And we've got some more mature in our congregation. But you know what I want you to hear is that getting to know and becoming more intimate with God starts today. It does. It, it doesn't start tomorrow, no matter where you're at. And if you don't even have a relationship with God today, you've not come to faith, you've not recognized that He is your Savior, you could do that today. And you start your journey from here. We would love to walk with you, to encourage you, and to strengthen you. Because ultimately, you will have regrets when you die. You will. But you're going to have a lot less regrets if you've walked with God and listened to God and obeyed God. Because then when you're 80, if God gives you that many years, or whatever, and you open up your windows, you're still thanking God. Not for the aches and the pains. Not for the loss of memory. Not for, and you put it in. But I thank you, God. You are an amazing God. And you've been faithful to me all of my life. I guess what I would encourage you is to go mad. Go make a difference every day. Walk with God and make a difference. And you're going to have quite the funeral. What's cool about that is you get to bless the folks who are here. But what's more cool is that you get to spend eternity with your heavenly Father forever and ever and ever. Hey, what are, what are some things we learned about God? The upper story. Well, God does gift every believer. He gives you, He gives me gifts. God reigns. He is not surprised by your circumstances or your situations. You can trust Him. You can, well, thrive in spite of them. And God does judge. God knows The best life for you and me is a life that is a life of obedience. And if we don't want to walk that, he's not going to be, well, satisfied with us just doing our own thing. And the lower story, as we look at this, well, I think a clear focus on your funeral will help you live life to the fullest now. You got to be remember or reminded that dirty disqualifies and distorts. It does. That's why kingdom heroes have a bent toward confession and repentance and purity. Well, as we walk with God, our faith grows. So what's so cool is you hang out with those 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 year olds who have walked with God for so long. Their lives glow. There is joy in spite of circumstances. And there is, well, a contagion. Something that you are drawn to. And lastly, prayer is critical. We need 
God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your grace in our lives. We realize, Lord, that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three young men that saw you so very, very differently than everyone else. They had unbelievably lousy circumstances. None of them would have been chosen to be deported and and yanked from their homeland. And I'm sure that so many of us would have been bitter, feeling sorry for ourselves, and not made any kind of an impact. Daniel, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. (laughs) They made a difference. They saw you. And they knew what was important. Would we? Would we see you clearly? And would we serve you with all of our hearts? All of the days of our life. Jesus' name, amen.